Welcome to Girls Uninterrupted, the GSA podcast where we speak to key people in the world of educating girls. Donna Stevens is our host, and in this episode, the very first, she speaks to journalist Irina Barker about current affairs in education, misogyny and toxic masculinity. They talk about women and careers, the need for all people to be flexible in their work. They talk about inspiring and powerful women and girls' schools versus co-ed schools. For all that and for much more, come with me now as Donna Stevens speaks to journalist Irina Barker. Hi there, I'm Donna Stevens, Chief Executive of the Girls' Schools Association. And in this series, I'm lucky enough to have conversations with all sorts of interesting people who can shine a light on everything that's pressing and interesting in education now. Today, I'm with Irina Barker, a freelance education journalist with 21 years experience. I'm starting out doing death knocks. Now, I did have to Google that as to what that was. Um, Court reporting and human interest articles on a number of local papers. She worked for a tabloid news agency before entering the world of education journalism. After 10 years at the Times Educational Supplement, she now writes freelance, editing School Management Plus and continuing to contribute to the TES and other uh, publications. She has three children, a teacher husband, and they're all at uh, London State Schools. So hi, Irina, and welcome to this episode of GSA's new podcast channel. Um, it's good to have you here today. We're recording this on a Friday. How do Fridays usually look for you? Well, for me in my head, Fridays are the most relaxing day of the week where I do a bit of casual shopping, pop to Wilco, and maybe do some stretching in the living room. But um, frequently they become days of work. Uh, I think I can, I can relate to that. So I'm particularly excited to have this podcast with you this morning, having been on the other side of interviews like this including with yourself actually and um, so how did you feel when we invited you to onto ours yes yeah, so if I'm ever invited to speak I feel very excited and flattered because people don't often ask me these things what I what I think uh, and then also terrified because of course I'm used to asking the questions and um the thought of having a question pounced on me that I haven't thought about in advance really terrifies me. <laughs> so I do have a lot of empathy for my for my interviewees. Oh, that's good. And yeah, please don't feel frightened. I- I'm scared that I'm asking the questions and you're the expert um, and you'll be working out how better I can be asking these questions. So <laughs> we're, we're, we're good together, I think. Okay, so, so given your 10 years at TES and your editor role at School Management Plus, you must have seen, you know, lots of changes in the stories that you've covered in education over the years so you know what has changed or, or maybe what's remained the same as well or a constant yeah I think um in terms of what has stayed the same that's kind of an easier one I think what has stayed the same is the kind of permanent outrage about education and people's constant desire to change it and tinker with it which is perhaps on the one hand useful and, and good because we're always trying to improve things but it's not always good for schools and and teachers the constant mm. change with politicians and commentators and experts always thinking they have the answer to everything so that hasn't changed in terms of what has changed i think there's just a lot more revolution in the air since the coalition government and the and then the conservative government when i first started at TES in 2006, things were reasonably boring. Um, And then after a few years, uh, things really kicked off and the education news just never stopped coming and and it's still coming. (laughs) 
So it's more exciting now than it used to be, but also, yeah, more more worrying, I guess. Yeah, and I think you made a good point there around the, you know the constant change, um, and there is good work going on in that area. You know, with various. Um, groups and organizations calling for a longer term approach to education which is you know what we need why wouldn't we have a longer term approach like we do for economic policy so I think we made an interesting point there um so Irina what what makes a good news story for you are there been particular people you've interviewed who you've really enjoyed interviewing who were they and you know if, if you're if you're able maybe maybe tell us who wasn't so good yeah I have had a little think about this because famously journalists can never remember the even the last story they wrote let alone a story they wrote 10 years ago because it just it just flies by Mm. it just flashes by and it's all a blur I think for me personally it's a story with a really great personality a really interesting person who's not like other people at its center and I was thinking about a reasonably recent story about Eton College sacking um, their teacher who refused to remove a video about toxic masculinity from Mm -hmm. the internet it was really quite controversial the video itself was but it was a, a provocative piece the whole point was it was to get the boys to think and so I I really love following that story and it's very interesting. I don't give my view on it in this podcast, but um, that was a a good example. There was a big institution involved, a well-known institution that always adds to the to, to the the flavour of a story as well. So we, we've got everything there that would would sort of interest me and excite me. We've got a politics, we've got a big institution, we've got a character. So that that's what does it for me in terms of like a really good news story. In terms of who I've interviewed, um, got a couple of contrasting ones. I, I remember very early in my career, I interviewed Yuri Geller, who was mm-hmm. the most as you would expect interviewee you have ever had. He was exactly as you see him on TV. And he kind of gave me a little mini performance in the interview. But I remember that well, because it was the very start of the interview, uh, of my career rather. And more recently, I, I wanted to sort of give a shout out really to all the female head teachers that I've interviewed, especially at School Management Plus. I'm never less than totally impressed when I, when I speak to a, to a, a female head teacher in, in, in my interviews. And it's become a really, I mean, I love I love the male heads too, but I'm always more impressed by the female heads. I'm sorry to say it. <laughs> I always just find it really interesting what motivates them and uh, it's, it's great. So I really sort of almost unexpectedly joyful aspects of my job that I, I didn't realise would be so good. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting you made that distinction. I'd love to unpick that a bit more as to, as to why that interests you more. What, what do you think? It makes a heritage different whether they're male or female. What is it that you think that? Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't like to say because I don't want the male heads on the line to me. Yeah. <laughs> but um, some of the women just seem to have so much spark, so much spark mm-hmm. and intelligence and oomph and life, which yeah, you know, perhaps I want for myself a little bit. <laughs> and of course, we know that there are fewer female teachers mm-hmm. uh, so maybe the ones that get through are a certain sort of character potentially Perhaps, yeah. um, and you know we're very proud of that at GSA the majority of our head teachers in our schools are women mm-hmm. yeah since then you've you, you've said that so next question then what has been the biggest surprise to you in education um, in the last uh, few years I'm not sure anything has particularly surprised me I was delighted and surprised when they cancelled the SATs um, tests right. for year sixes uh, during COVID. <laughs> right. 
that I mean, I, I thought they might actually plough on in some way online. Or, I don't know. Um, but uh, I mean, I don't I can't really say that anything has surprised me. Appalled me. Yes, I can tell you. <laughs> but I don't know about surprise. Um, What's appalled you? Well, the inability of authorities, government to understand that achievement in education is not just about the teacher in front of the class or the school. And it's also about the family and what resources people have access to and poverty mm-hmm. or not. Um, yeah. That failure to grasp that. We had um, a story this week, Michael Gove suggesting that we take the benefits off families whose uh, children are persistent truants. Mm-hmm. Um, I, saw that, yeah. I mean, it's not actually going to be made policy tomorrow or anything, but just the suggestion of it is, mm-hmm. is so outrageous. And it kind of just really reflects a wider, a wider attitude that seems to prevail. And how do you see, you know, your role as a journalist in shaping some of these conversations, debates and, and even policy? Well, I'm a professional fence sitter on a lot of things, so <laughs> which is probably <laughs> developed through being a journalist. And, and when you're a reporter, certainly you would never give a, give a view yourself. You try and, you know, present it as, it as you can see it. But for me personally, I think two key aspects of the job really are providing that clear info and like facts that help people really understand the story or what's going on so that they can actually form their own opinions and not just grab an opinion off Twitter and run with that one because it is very difficult to have a proper opinion if you don't have all the information I mean I've had that Mm. problem myself so that's one aspect but also I really enjoy the aspect of journalism where you get the chance to celebrate good things that are going on and to really like shine a light and inspire others For example, if you show good things that are going on in schools, uh, especially if they can be done with um, not many resources and they can inspire other schools, for example. So I think there is definitely a place for celebrating the good good things and hoping that 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 helps others. Because I I think it's easy to get stuck in your school and just think, well, we don't have much many resources. What can we do? And just looking at being able to look around and, and, and see what what other options are available. I think that can be quite a useful role for um, a piece of journalism to mm-hmm. to play. So it makes sense. Um, a point you made just earlier around understanding all the information, because that's something that we think about in our schools. You know, how can we educate young people to understand the importance of well-researched and respected mm. journalism versus getting information from TikTok, YouTube, uh, certain social media influencers? Yes, yeah, so... I, th- I think that it is important to help kids understand what what they're seeing and hearing because it all comes as a barrage, doesn't it? And certainly mm-hmm. the the forces of big business and you know YouTube etc. Are, are much more powerful than perhaps you know other more reliable sources. But the key to all of that is you know maybe not don't have to teach them the detail, but teach them to be curious about what they're being told and why they're being told it. For example, I've had with my son, he he's looking up different products and looking at reviews on YouTube, just something sim- simple like that. Mm-hmm. And they're saying how great all these keyboards are for his computer. And, and they're all saying how wonderful they are. <laughs> and, you know, we had a conversation about, you know, 
maybe they are quite good, but you know, who are these people? Are they being paid to do it? And yeah. so it's 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 just engaging in a conversation with young people about what they're seeing. I, I don't think we have to write it all down and test them on it in an exam, but engaging, talking about what they're looking at, who's behind it, like who who drives it, you know. Likewise, even with the mainstream press, you know, you, you might have a big newspaper, pretty reliable, but mm. you know, who is behind it? Why are they running that story every day? You know, why are they particularly interested in that theme when the other papers aren't? You know, mm. so that I mean, that's media studies, isn't it? I mean, we should all do media studies now. So it's it's talking to to kids about what they're reading and what they're seeing yeah. and, and making them ask questions, basically. Thank you. That, that's quite an interesting example there with your son and um, his research there. I hope he got the keyword uh, that he needed. The Father Christmas wanted. did, yes, yes. Yeah. It is excellent. Oh, good, oh, good. So, you know, in terms of, I think in the back of the last couple of years, we're, we're sort of post, everyone's invited. Misogyny is a word we hear a lot um, at the moment. And of course, the rise of misogynist influences, um, influences we've seen recently. It's, um, it's International Women's Day next week. What role does the media play um, in responsibly reporting on some of these things without sort of frightening our girls? Yeah, I mean, in in terms of the sort of online misogyny, I think it's not really the girls we should worry about so much as the, as the as the boys. I mean, <laughs> I know again, you know, I use an example of my son, but he's only, he's only fourteen, but we're starting to see his his YouTube channel sort of getting a little bit more um, male, shall we say? Um, yeah. And you know, he he comes up to me and said to me the other day, "Mom, what's what's child support?" You know, I thought. Why are you asking me about child support? That's that's an interesting question. He'd been watching a video about a guy saying a, a woman was a gold digger because she was asking for a million pounds in in child support. It, was, it wasn't a particularly inflammatory video, but there was mm. a an edge of misogyny there. It's sort of, and you know, sometimes he just he just asked me things that make me think, ah, okay, it's creeping into your your mm. timeline. And we have talked about misogyny and toxic masculinity online because they definitely get fed it. I could go around the internet completely oblivious to all of it. And in, in terms of girls, I mean, I think overall in terms of, you know, how girls go through their lives, I think it's just really important that we don't give girls a victim mindset. I mean, I don't mm -hmm. think that is true, but I, I, it's important that we don't create that. The, the dangers are real, etc. But we need to just educate them, inform them about what dangers there are and also make them know that they can seek help and talk about any problems that they have and that they will be believed and that we will act on on their concerns or, or incidents that have happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm glad you brought in the the, the male lens there. Um you know, as as a mum to to all boys, is that right? No, I've I've actually got a, a younger girl as well, but oh, okay. I'll probably develop some different opinions as she, as she grows yes. older. What you're saying resonates with me there, but my eldest is a bit youngest, but I can already start to see those things creeping in. He's eleven, so it's definitely one to keep uh, a close eye on. Thinking now about your career, you know, as a woman in particular, and how your career has, evol has evolved, what advice would you give to young women today, um, how they can navigate their own careers? Well, I, I, I was thinking about this and I thought, 
perhaps I'm not the best person to give ad career advice. I'm perhaps too old and, <laughs> and the world has changed and the opportunities are different. I mean, I think my career was largely sort of unplanned. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that. Although when it's unplanned, you can't really fail, which I think is probably how, <laughs> how I set it up. <laughs> unplanned, this can be interesting though. And you can definitely, I changed jobs a lot in my early career and I don't regret that. I got a lot of different experiences and it was very sort of tumultuous, but lots of fun. And I, I do recommend that actually. Yeah. And in terms of it's one thing I've noticed since I've gotten old is the power of, of brands and how working for a big brand just once can really enhance your, your CV and work opportunities. <laughs> so I would, I would anybody at school these days, I would, I would recommend trying to hook themselves onto a big brand, at least early in their career. They can always go into a niche smaller companies or whatever later later in life if you're not a corporately minded person I mean I, I'm mm -hmm. not particularly but don't don't underestimate that I mean not you don't mm -hmm. have to go to Oxford I mean that's, a, that's another big brand you don't you don't have to do that it's obviously not possible for everyone but in terms of if you can get some work experience or, or anything just it really helps yeah it makes sense since you you kind of able to unplanned your career I wonder whether it's more about you had a flexible approach to your career. Yes, indeed. You know, and I think maybe that, <laughs> and, and as did I, and I think I have lots of conversations where they didn't necessarily start out to be X, but that's where their journey took them mm. as they evolved as a person. And I think, you know, being flexible is probably better uh, for you as a person more generally rather than just having one fixed goal mm. that might not always be achievable. So maybe it's a flexible approach rather than unplanned has maybe been a bit kinder yeah. to you and me. I'm thinking of myself I, here as well. I think I probably am um, quite hard on myself generally about my choices and uh, mm. what I should have done. But it's very easy, isn't it, to look back and, yeah. and know exactly what you should have done. Yes, definitely. So talking of, sort of you know, inspiring and powerful women, what do you think uh, about recent women in politics stepping down? Yes, well, I think that... It's just fair enough, really. I, I, I kind of don't really like talking about it. <laughs> fair enough. I, I do think some women might have a little bit more of an ability to understand when it's time to stop. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I remember Estelle Morris. I think she was the education secretary uh, way back when. I remember when she um, stepped down and it was very sort of, how very reasonable. <laughs> Maybe I don't think a man would do that, would they? But so yeah, I think I think women do have that ability just to say, you know, let's end it here. You know, dumb a dumb a task. And also leaving before anything really awful or shameful happens is is a good thing, I think. <laughs> yeah. uh, rather than finally squeezed out like a Boris Johnson kind of yes, uh, affair. Yes. So it's leaving with dignity is is a, is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Really, you know, I think they've. You know, I admire them, definitely admire them for, for leaving when they, when they want to leave. Certainly. Yeah. So as we've already talked about, you've, you've obviously worked in education media for some time now and your husband's a teacher. I did get that right, I hope, at the start there. He is. It's, it's funny because he said to me, oh, don't talk about me too much. You, you, you will. You'll talk about me. <laughs> Um, my husband often says, you never talk about me in your interviews. I was like, no, you don't really come up. Um, but he is a teacher, so that's mm. very relevant for this interview. So, but yeah, but obviously your, your experience in education journalism more generally. Mm. I'm keen to understand what your take is on single sex schools, co-ed schools, and, you know, how, you know, we can best um, help every young person to achieve 
Yeah. In my heart, I'm a big supporter of comprehensive schools mm -hmm. and co-ed schools. I do think that in the ideal world, you should go to a school that reflects society in some way. If we're preparing kids for the world, then in principle, this is this is what I believe in. And I'm sure that that view is quite commonly held. Mm -hmm. However, I have seen what girls schools can do and what an environment they can provide. So I am not against them. <laughs> I'm mm -hmm. not uh, necessarily a champion or supporter in the sense that I would wave a flag around, but I can see how the sexual stereotyping of subjects would fall away in, in, in a girls' school and how, mm -hmm. how that could be a, a really transformatory thing. Likewise, in boys' schools, I don't know what the statistics are, but boys more likely to do cookery, more likely to do stereotypically girly things. So taking, you know, I've seen it with my own sons at their school. They're very boy that everything they do is boy subjects. They, you know, and when they mm -hmm. were little, they were great at singing and mm -hmm. music and all these things. And it's kind of, no, we're not really out to do that. We're boys. So you've got it for boys and girls. And so I really do appreciate what girls schools can achieve. And I totally have every empathy and understanding for parents who want to send their girls to a girls school or a boys yeah. school. And we, we will have that decision with my, my own daughter because we have an excellent girls school up the road and probably won't get into it. But, um, you know, there's a likelihood that we'll, we'll apply for, our, for my own daughter because it is a very good school above all it's about choices and then having the right yeah. school for that one particular child and and yes we all know the research about girls schools the better academics much yeah. more likely to study maths less likely to give up sport but yeah what well, you know the your initial point there it is a point you that we do here you know about reflecting society and i think that's something that girls schools have worked hard on and boys schools um over the last you know 50 years, really, you know, so they do represent society. There are links with, the, you know, they're, they're not mm. silos. They do mix with <laughs> boys because, yes, that is important. But having that freedom for boys for your maths lesson mm -hmm. means you're much more likely to do a maths A-level or you're less yep. likely to drop out of sport when you're 13. And, yeah, the, all these things are important to weigh up. It's just good to know that you're alert to these yeah. as well and, I mean, and thinking them. I now have a really wide overview of, of the education offer because I, I, I report so much on uh, private schools now as well as state yes. schools. And, I, I, and I'm also a parent myself with kids at state schools and they, they're, they're receiving a, a competent education. <laughs> However, I totally understand why parents would want these different options for their children and why not every child is going to fit right in at every school. It's just, mm -hmm. and, and we don't have a lot of school choice, especially in the state sector. So I would not criticize anyone for making a school choice ever because children are all different, aren't they? And one, one might thrive in a, a hurly-burly state school full of, yeah full of boys and uh, <laughs> another might not and so it's it's I think the the constant fury around around it perhaps isn't very productive yeah the schools yeah, should be yeah. learning from each other really absolutely yeah okay so I'm going to end then just on maybe some advice you can give us to take away so <laughs> if you could give I don't know up to three pieces of advice for heads what would they be and ditto for girls pupils okay well I'm, I'm not giving the 
incredible marvellous heads any advice except there's one thing that I perhaps am slightly qualified to talk about and that is parents so heads please never see parents as a problem and a mass to be fended off but after sort of pupils teachers parents are like your greatest resource and 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 don't don't forget that and and they're not something just to be managed uh, and worried mm-hmm. about and sent text messages to um, <laughs> mm-hmm. um embrace your parent body i'm sure many many schools do it but i've i've witnessed it not happening and i do think it's a, a great waste it's a great waste in terms of pupils i think i talked about working for big brand employers early in your career mm-hmm. um oh yes i was going to say um so pupils if if school feels painful to you now in the world of work you may not be surrounded with by the sort of levels of knowledge and experience that teachers offer so you should make the most of your teachers now it's really easy for me to say <laughs> but you know just yeah really make the most of what teachers can offer you don't see them as an enemy uh, see them as a, a friend who can really offer you something that you may not get access to again yeah, I, that's two pieces of advice, but there you go. That's helpful. You, it sounds like you're saying that thinking of a teacher of, in mind no, in your past life. No, I just, no? Uh, yeah, I will talk about my husband briefly, but he he really loved his teachers and he's still friends with some of them now. Okay. And, right. <laughs> and I think he got a lot from them. Um, I think it was the nature of the school he went to. And um, I think he he did that. He He got a lot from them, a lot of life advice, as well as, you know, sort of basic knowledge. So, yeah. you know, I think that's what I'm thinking about when I'm saying that. Yeah, that makes sense. I think lots of us have teachers like that in mind. All right. Thanks, Irina. It's been really fascinating chatting to you today. I hope you enjoyed it being on the other side. <laughs> Weekend's nearly here. Do you have any nice plans? I am going to go and watch some football, some kids playing nice. football, and I'm going to watch my team play hockey. But I'm not playing because I've got a, a slight pain in my back. But oh, I'll be no. back on the pitch perhaps next week. OK, well, good luck with that. I hope you're back. Um, thanks, Irina, again. And uh, yeah. Speak to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So that was GSA's Chief Executive Donna Stevens and Irina Barker talking about current affairs in education and much, much more. A big thank you to them both, especially our guest, Irina, for joining us on this episode of the Girls' Schools Association podcast. Now, the next episode is coming out soon, but in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.